Hello and welcome to What's the Big Idea? I'm your host, Paige Curtis. Today's episode is brought to you by Destination Imagination, commonly referred to as DI, the leading creative problem-solving experience for children. Through DI's innovative project-based educational experiences, participants gain the skills that will set them up for success and careers like the ones we're going to hear about today. Learn more about DI at destinationimagination.org. On today's episode, we are pleased to welcome Chloe Contos. Chloe is about to start work as the director of the Office of the CTO at MD Anderson Cancer Center. She graduated from University of Virginia, Wahoo with a degree in politics, and has had an extraordinary career path and roles at the intersections of technology, education, and policy. As a senior policy analyst in the Office of Management and Budget, she was honored for her work encouraging use of collaborative tools that enabled upgrades and enhanced security throughout the government. Chloe also served as the executive director of the National Science and Technology Council in the Office of Science and Technology Policy during the Obama administration and the Trump administration and advised through the Biden-Harris transition. Joining us from Houston, Texas, please welcome Chloe Contos. Hey, I'm so excited to be here. So my first question is such a broad question for you, but like I mentioned, you've sort of done it all. I would love for you to take us through your job and how you got to now. Sure. So I would say, uh, you know, where everything started for me um, was really the Peace Corps. And I, honestly, a lot of times when people ask me about the Peace Corps and they'll say, you know, like, how did you get to where you are? Um, I really think the Peace Corps has not only in terms of just my job, but because of the Peace Corps is the reason I have everything I have today in my life, all the positive, um, wonderful things. Uh, you know, we talked about my dog who, um, if you, if you all could see me, but I'll give you a little, uh, brief description of what's going on in, in terms of our, uh, work from home arrangement right now. But my dog is always on the couch behind me, uh, you know, doing a great snooze and, and people can always see him in my backdrop. So that's my backdrop is in my dog is actually my Peace Corps dog. I brought him back from the Peace Corps. Um, so that, you know, that was exciting. I would also say I met my husband because of the Peace Corps. Um, I met him through another volunteer. Um, and really, I met him at my first job out of the Peace Corps, which I got because the federal government uh, has some hiring capabilities for Peace Corps returned volunteers. Um, so because of that, uh, I my first job out of the Peace Corps was working at the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Um, and one of my friends from the Peace Corps had a friend that worked at the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And just so happens to now be be my husband. That's how we met. Um, so I, I really look at everything I have today uh, started with the Peace Corps um, and my experience there, my dog, my my family, <laughs> in my career. Um, so after, at the in the Peace Corps, I should just talk a little bit about what I did there. But I really focused on adult literacy. Um, and I also worked on, you know, a, a lot of Peace Corps volunteers in addition to kind of like whatever their main gig is, whether it's like education or, um, you know, youth development or small business development. You also do a lot with with the youth in your community. Um, the youth and the kids are really the, the people that get you integrated into the community because they're interested in you. They take you around. They help you. Uh, I was in the Dominican Republic. Uh, 
Um, so, you know, helping me learn Spanish, learn the slang. Um, one of the first things you do in the Peace Corps is you do a community survey of sorts. And so all the kids in the community would go with me to interview, um, the, you know, the different folks in the community. And I, your Spanish is still pretty new at that point. So they would translate for me. Like I would ask my question and they would be like, what she said is, and then they would translate back and say like, well, what they said is, um, so they were a big part in, in really getting you adjusted and, and getting, you know, almost, I would say like buy-in from the community. So you end up doing a lot of, um, different kind of, uh, youth activities as well. Um, whatever, you know, kind of they'll come to you with ideas. And there's also uh, a myriad of opportunities within the Peace Corps of different kinds of, of clubs and groups. I had a boys science club. I had a girls club. Um, you know, there's lots of different grant opportunities, different camps. So I was always doing, in addition to my adult literacy work, which was setting up, um, essentially adult literacy programs across the, um, Haitian and Dominican communities where I lived at, which was really um, situated in, in the, the southern the, the southern region of the Dominican Republic, um, which is where they grow a lot of sugar cane. So all of these were actually sugar cane uh, plantation communities that had grown up. Um, and so what I was doing is working with a nonprofit to set up adult literacy programs um, to teach. Uh, usually it was mostly women, but um, essentially, you know, adult women to read and write. So that was a really cool program to figure out. All right. So adults, it's not the same kind of MO as teaching um, you know, children, you're, you're starting with, you know, like a, a life context. Um, so where you actually start with adults versus children is you actually start with your name and how to write your name versus the alphabet. Right. So that it was, it was very, uh, an interesting experience to me to think about, all right, so how I'm going to teach these teachers, um, because that was really my job was coming up with the curriculum, hiring teachers and, and, and keeping these programs running in all these different communities. Uh, you know, but how are we going to teach these adults? How are we going to create a curriculum that's interesting to them with topics that are that are mature, um, that are relevant to their lives? So that was an amazing experience. Uh, in addition to working with the youth and I worked with um, a small uh, peanut butter startup in my community as well. So that it was really cool to be at kind of the cross section of education small business development, and then, you know, youth programs and development as well. But, you know, when I returned from the Peace Corps, uh, one of the great benefits of, of Peace Corps beyond, you know, creativity, uh, teaching you to be quick on your feet, um, adaptable, just so many great life skills and, and career, you know, building skills that you learn in the Peace Corps during your time there. Um, but one of also the great benefits is you have the ability to be um, special hiring uh, eligibility for government jobs. So for a year, Year, when you return from the Peace Corps, you um, are given, again, special hiring authority to essentially get a government job easy. Um, so I, I really just wanted a job. It wasn't important to me uh, where it was in, in some ways, even even what it was. I was kind of thinking like, you know, these are the skills I have. I'm, I'm you know, I have analysis skills. I can work with people. Um, and so I ended up getting a job in Washington, D.C. at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, working on uh, their big technology contracts and overseeing those contracts to make sure that we were, you know, essentially um, keeping every keeping everyone on track and using taxpayer dollars efficiently. Um, 
So that was my first job out of college or I'm sorry, out, out of the Peace Corps. Um, and from there, I, I also was working on our uh, IT investments. So essentially like all the portfolio of the dollars um, of how we were spending technology dollars with the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And I was really interested in that. I was really interested in the financial aspect. Um, and so I was, I was starting to think more of like, how can I, you know, take this really the piece of my job I like the most and, and, you know, focus on that. And that's how I ended up at the uh, Department of Treasury, really as a financial analyst for the chief information officer there, uh, looking at, you know, all of their, again, um, IT investments and, and helping them, you know, make good uh, budget decisions, good financial investments, ensure that we had enough money to do what we needed to do. Um, and, and just work through financial uh, situations and, and environment and the environment there and, and really learn some, you know, I would say I also was in some ways like a glorified accountant. I learned way more about the accounting system than I wanted to know and accounting codes. So one of the last things I did before I left the Department of Treasury um, was I revamped our accounting codes <laughs> for, uh, for the CIO's office. Um, but again, it was a skill set that like, I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't necessarily going after, but I had a great colleague who was really awesome about training me and, and, and teaching me and, and, and our other colleagues in terms of, okay, well, if you have these, you know, these accounting codes actually mean something and this is what it means. And this is how we can be more organized. And this is how we can be more strategic. And this is how, you know, if we have everything tagged correctly, this is how we can plan better for the future. So there, you know, I, I never thought I would um, become a, an accounting code analyst uh, extraordinaire, but that was one of the last things I did before I left the Department of Treasury was put together, uh, you know, a plan to revamp the accounting codes, which they did, which was great, but also put together trainings um, for for my uh, colleagues to explain, you know, this is how the accounting codes work. So it's I, just, I, mm -hmm. I do feel like it's sort of an art form, the accounting codes, because when they're clean it and they make sense, it's a thing <laughs> of beauty. <laughs> right. And when you use the wrong ones, uh, you know, it, they, they actually do mean something. They're relevant. And so I, I'm kind of getting to a strand throughout all of my jobs is training others. And so it started in the Peace Corps with training teachers. Um, but every job I've had since then, um, where I've been transitioning out has always ended with me creating trainings to either leave behind or ensure that I'm, you know, I'm training up uh, the staff around me or my colleagues to, um, you know, you know, adopt a new skill or, um, you know, look at our, our portfolio in a different way and just how important it is to always be, um, looking for education opportunities, looking to learn new skills, even ones that, you know, you never thought you'd be learning, but also kind of leaving something behind in terms of, um, I don't, it's not like legacy necessarily, but just making sure that your colleagues can have access to the same information that you had. Um, Succession planning was what yes. I was thinking about <laughs> as you're talking about this, you know, you're, you're doing it through Peace Corps when you're training other people and trying to upstart what that education system looks like and leave that behind better than you found it. And that's sort of been, as you're talking, the red thread for me is, is going through and making processes better, training people and leaving things better than you found them, which is yes, wonderful. Definitely. It's, it's always a goal of mine. Um, and so I had, a, you know, I had a really uh, short tenure at the Treasury Department and I'll be honest with you, what I learned there was 
Um, I didn't necessarily want to be a financial analyst. Uh, and, and I think every job I've had, I there's been either like a gap or, um, you know, some kind of, I would say like either like frustration or, or weakness or something where you're like, okay, but if I had this job, I'd be able to get in front of that. Right. And I'd be able right. to solve that problem. And so I would say, uh, you know, my time at the, um, in Peace Corps, like I, I was like, all right, I want to get, you know, I, these are great skill sets. I, I really want to get into, you know, corporate into the office, right. Cause you're really out in the field in Peace Corps. And then when I got to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, I realized I didn't really love contracts. You know, I didn't want to spend all of my time on contracts, but the financial aspect really influences the contracts and the decisions you make. So I wanted to, you know, start focusing in on that. Um, and then once I got onto the financial side, I realized that, um, just because you are in charge of the budget doesn't necessarily mean that you make the decisions. <laughs> you get to inform and suggest. Um, but I, I realized that I wanted more control or um, influence over what were the budget budgetary decisions we were making versus just enacting them. Mm -hmm. And so at, the, at that point in time, uh, I actually had a, a great um, job opportunity to go and work at the White House uh, at the Office of Management and Budget and uh, really step into that role of, of being um, uh, of, of really being, I, I would say, like the, the the way the role that the actual term that they use to um, describe these roles are desk officers, and it's a term I know that they use in at the DoD and the military, but it's essentially an advisor. Um, you know, a trusted advisor position uh, where you're assigned uh, a group of agencies and you are working with the CIO and the senior executives there to see over and in many ways oversee their technology portfolio and make sure that they're making good technology investments. Right. So my uh, portfolio of agencies at my first job at, at the White House in the Office of Management of, in Budget um, included the Social Security Administration, NASA and the Department of of commerce. Um, so it was a really, really interesting portfolio. And I remember it's when a I diverse portfolio, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I would say NASA and uh, the Department of Commerce had more in common. And uh, in particular, it's because of the relationship between uh, weather. So the National Oceanic and Atmospheric uh, Agency uh, is underneath the Department of Commerce, which most people don't even realize. And uh, NOAA and NASA share a uh, have a shared mission space in terms of uh, weather satellites. Uh, so there's actually, you know, a, a, I would say a lot more in common between Department of Commerce and NASA. Um, the Social Security Administration <laughs> was totally, you know, the oddball, um, but I actually had them the longest throughout my portfolio. And I remember when I first inherited them, I remember thinking like, this, this mission is not relevant to my life, right? Like I was very, I was in my, you know, mid to early twenties. Like I wasn't thinking about social security. I just thought like, this is not relevant to me, but it was actually, it really is. It's relevant to all Americans because you're given a social security number when you're, when you're born, right? It's, it's actually a agency that follows you cradle to grave in many ways. Um, yeah, they also, that's true. yes, they, they also, um, 
they own the, the, the death master file. So when you die, like those are the folks that record it. Right. So it's just a very interesting evolution in terms of, of how Americans don't even realize they're interacting with, with government agencies, um, every day. Right. Uh, the census bureau, which is under department of commerce. Um, it, it's just fantastic. It was really interesting to learn about the missions, but also learn about how technology was supporting those missions. And then, you know, really help my, my colleagues and my partners at the agencies um, ensure that they were making good financial decisions. So um, when you talk about that, making good financial decisions around IT, can you give us an example of what that might might be? Sure. I won't necessarily name the agency. That's um, totally fine. Probably guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and actually, this is not this. It, it's there's a couple of different examples, I guess, I could pull from. Um, so one agency. Um, that I was working with and they were looking at, um, they, they really wanted to buy everyone iPads and, um, in, in the technology area. And the problem with that was our campus, first of all, like our whole technology environment and suite was not Apple. Um, you know, and so we weren't, we weren't really using that operating system broadly. Um, secondly, we didn't have Wi-Fi. So mm. how are we going to use these iPads across the campus? So a lot of times with technology, um, I think people will see like bright and shiny tools and, and, and new products and, and it's exciting, but you really have to think about what fits your environment and your mission and what you're able to do. Um, and so, you know, I, yeah, I would love an iPad, but in reality, <laughs> like, is that a good financial investment, right? Like, does that fit what we need to be doing? We're going to go to a quick commercial and we will be back with more from Chloe Contos. Whether you're a parent, educator, or supporter of learning, you know you can have a profoundly positive impact on a child's life by awakening their innate curiosity. For more than 20 years, Destination Imagination has been helping kids from all walks of life find what makes them unique. Join us in giving the gift of creativity by making a donation to DI Today. Help ensure that we can continue building resilient kids and communities all over the world. Visit us at DestinationImagination.org and click donate to make a donation today. Before the break, we were talking about some of the different financial decisions that government agencies may make about technology, uh, specifically iPads. And if you're me, you're thinking maybe about things like a strong password. But what's so interesting about what Chloe has advised on is that it really goes far beyond something like a strong password to the actual infrastructure that these government agencies do uh, to uh, accomplish their work every day for the American public, which is a, a, a noble and important and, and probably underrepresented cause. Yeah, thank you, Paige. And I would actually say, like, no one should ask me about strong passwords. Um, <laughs> I have this conversation with my husband all the time where he's like, you're using the same password or he's like, what? That's not a hard password. So in, in reality, um, even though I work in cybersecurity currently and, and have, um, you know, advised and, and worked on cybersecurity policy issues at the White House, um, I am not a cybersecurity expert in any way, shame <laughs> or form. I really uh, sit at the crux, I would say, of, of thinking about strategy um, and, and how to really how to like devise policy that is commonsensical, rational, but also is communicated in a way that is 
um, you know, easily understood by the American people, um, non-technical folks, executives, whatever that might be. Um, so, you know, in terms of, again, the, the issues and in, in the, um, well, the breadth of issues that I was looking at at the White House, um, you know, modernization was one that was was really uh, coming forward. And, and I think in many ways, because of a lot of the cybersecurity issues we were seeing, um, but thinking about how do we modernize our system? So that was something I worked on a lot with uh, Social Security Administration, uh, especially, you know, for them, they had they had a mission where they had a lot of field offices. Right. But we're trying to move those kinds of services online to self-service. That's what people in my generation want. But you still have to serve the people that want to come into your office that maybe don't have access to a computer um, or don't want to use your services online. So how do you balance that? Um, for NASA, we really were looking at cybersecurity um, issues and, and how we could solve that. And I was partnering really closely with the uh, the chief information security officer there um, versus like at the Social Security Administration. I was really partnering with the head of the agency and in the, um, you know, in her kind of direct staff in terms of what does modernization look like for the Social Security Administration mission. Um, for Department of Commerce, I think it was a slew of issues because Department of Commerce has such a wide mission. You have uh, the Patent and Trade Office, you have the Census Bureau, um, and they were gearing up at that point in time uh, for, you know, the 2020 census. So, you know, how do you make sure that that's going to go off without a hitch? And, And obviously... Um, you know, I've, I've been out of that job for a while, but I remember thinking when I was switching jobs, um, and that was before COVID, right? Like, this is really tough. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so project. exactly. It's a huge project. Um, it's actually, I, I, a lot of people don't know this, but the Census Bureau mission, um, counting, uh, and it's not citizens, actually, it's counting the entire population is in the constitution. Uh, a lot of folks don't know that, that it's one of the only missions. I, I think it could be the only mission actually in terms of federal agencies that's, that's actually elucidated in the constitution of the United States. It must be done. So that's kind of a, a neat fact. You kind of learn all these like little factoids about these missions and, um, probably more than most people want to know, uh, but it, but it was a fascinating job. And, and I think um, when I talk about my my first role at the White House, um, my husband always says that he, he thinks that's where I really hit my stride and, and came into, um, you know, learning how to be kind of an executive and a, and a leader. And I think it was relationship building, being a trusted advisor. Um, I, one thing that I really uh, take to heart in, in all the roles and in all the jobs that I do is is being an honest broker. And so a lot of times I might be telling you things you don't want to hear. And, and that's part of it, right, is to say that I don't think we should buy iPads. I, I think it's probably not worth it right now, right? Or, or we're not set up or that's not a good investment. Or, you know, I know you want to do this thing. But that's not going to serve the most people, you know, most American citizens. That's not a good usage of, of taxpayer dollars. Um, this is what I think we should do instead. But, you know, it's it's having those open, transparent, honest conversations with people where you've built up a trusted relationship um, that I, I think, it, you know, has has resulted in my success in, in, in all these kind of different roles. Right. Especially um, in policy. Um, 
you know, in, in, in policy guidance and, in, uh, you know, defining policy for science and tech, which was my second role at the White House, um, where, I, where I ran, I was the executive director of the National Science and Technology Council um, and the Office of Science and Technology Policy. So, um, you know, it was a really neat role. Um, most people don't know that the National Science and Technology Council, so the NSTC is actually a presidential council. So, and, and its mission is to uh, create um, science and technology goals uh, and strategy for the nation. So, um, where I was really focused initially in my first role at the White House with partnering with agencies on their internal missions and technology um, you know, environments, uh, it was a little bit different and more broad and really looking towards the horizon, um, in terms of my second role at the national science and technology council, um, thinking about like, what are the goals for the nation in uh, bleeding edge technology, right? Whether it be STEM education, which, you know, is underpins all of our S and T, um, quantum AI, um, critical minerals, uh, near earth objects was one of my favorites. Uh, so literally asteroids, hitting the planet like what are we going to do you know like how do we plan for that um, so just, huge issues yes <laughs> literally huge issues and you know again it was it's a, such an interesting issue where people don't realize the agencies that you get together to think about this nasa is really the center of planetary defense. They have an office of planetary defense. Uh, so, the, you know, they're, they're the hub, but then you also have to bring in USDA and you bring in FEMA, um, you know, and, and you bring in NOAA from Department of Commerce and, and you bring up D Department of Defense, uh, you know, Department of um uh, of Homeland Security, like you're bringing all these folks together to think about these problems and uh, coordinate and communicate and, and collaborate on what's the best policy solution forward. What, you know, what are you responsible for? What am I responsible for? How can we ensure that we, um, you know, are, are working together? Um, and if these, you know, if, if these forces collide that, that we are, um, you know, doing our best in terms of, you know, protecting American citizens or, um, you know, it's not, it's not always like a defense thing. It can also be for STEM education, right? Like how are we, are we ensuring that all, you know, all states and teachers have the resources they need, um, you know, the equity, diversity, and inclusion are, are really, um, thought of in, in, in context at, at schools and, and not just, you know, at the graduate level, but also at technical schools, <laughs> you know, I think the s and uh, mission in STEM education goes so far beyond just the PhD programs, right? It's, it's really across all of, um, you know, they, they say um, like, you know, K through K, K through 12. And um, I, I think an another one I've heard is like, uh, what was it? K to grave or K to gray. <laughs> K, K to gray. K, K to gray is one. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought was, uh, you know, rather pithy. Um, but again, it, it was getting the right people together to uh, discuss and communicate and collaborate on these, um, you know, really critical uh, issues for for the country. This is this is an amazing job that you have brought so much clarity in my mind about uh, because I kind of feel like you're the American hero that for people listening who sit back and think, OK, I see my senators on TV or I see the president on TV, but um, I might have mistrust in government or I might not be sure who's lobbying for my best interest. There are these advisors and there are people like you who are saying I found my niche in leading with honesty who are making decisions at a federal government level about how taxpayer dollars are spent. I mean, that's a huge job. 
Tune in next week for part two of our conversation with Chloe Contos. We would like to acknowledge that this episode of What's the Big Idea was recorded on land originally inhabited and cultivated by the Akokissa, Lenape, and Shawnee Nations. We are grateful for this land and for the people who have stewarded it for generations. This episode was produced by Kelsey Selleck with additional material provided by Donald Alfiero and Chris Beisel with music by Kevin McLeod. Special thanks to our guest, Chloe Contos, for joining us today. You can learn more about Chloe by checking her out on LinkedIn. To learn more about our show and about DI, visit us at destinationimagination.org. If you'd like to inspire even more big ideas for young people around the world, consider making a charitable contribution to DI at destinationimagination.org slash donate. I'm Paige Curtis. Thanks for listening to What's the Big Idea? The U.S. Department of Labor estimates that 65% of today's students will be employed in jobs that have yet to be invented. We have no way of knowing what those jobs will entail. But we do know that the skills that will prepare them for success are the skills that they can develop through destination imagination. Hi, I'm Chris Beisel, Director of Training for Destination Imagination. I was a team manager for 15 years and 22 teams before I joined the staff. Being a team manager was the best thing that I did for all my children. Destination Imagination, or DI, is an international project-based competition that reinforces the four C's, communication, collaboration, critical thinking, and creativity. You probably heard about those skills in today's episode, and DI is the place where kids like yours develop those skills for themselves. Students work together in small teams to create solutions to a challenge. DI's team challenges fall into one of seven categories, scientific, technical, engineering, fine arts, improvisation, service learning, and for our younger children, early learning. A DI team selects one of those seven challenges and prepares a solution to present at the local tournament. Throughout the experience, students create projects, solve problems, build relationships, learn new concepts, and have a great time in the process. We're building the workforce of the future. Today's DI participants are tomorrow's innovators, problem solvers, and leaders. If that sounds like a good fit for you and the young people in your life, we would love to have you join us. To get started today, visit destinationimagination.org slash learn more.